Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. It is a pod divided, the college football show here on tonight's edition of the program. So that means my good friend from the University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is uh, it is good to be back with you. You know, I think we we're all, uh, you know, celebrating uh, Taylor Swift's Grammy uh win right and that what you were doing this on this sunday night i was reading about flacco uh the <laughs> eurasian owl that got away in new york have you followed this story in central park he was no. in the central park zoo uh seen this? This heard about this? yeah you, you seen this you heard about this um i keep up with him on twitter uh there's a manhattan bird alert that keeps up with him uh daily so uh he, i'm a big owl guy you uh, follow uh manhattan bird alert Love Manhattan bird alert. It's a, <laughs> I'm a big birder. Big bird guy. Mm-hmm. Big owl uh, owl guy specifically. Oh yeah, like I have just owl paintings. My wife did an awesome owl painting when we first started dating. Um, that's uh, in our other room. Um, but no, I yeah, owl statues, owl paintings. I'm I I, I love love owls. Love owls, black bears. I, I can. I, I can I do a top TikTok video the other day that was like, how many owls would you need to see like in, in your everyday, like in one day to be to start to become suspicious? Mm. Like if you're Good walking question. down the street, you're doing your hashtag run Knoxville as you mm-hmm. do. How many owls would you need to see that you're like, what the hell is going on today? Probably three or four. I was three. I, I was uh, yeah. I was number three. That was awesome. like two. Like, OK, that's whatever nature. Three. It's what is going on today. That's that's yeah. my uh, that's my uh, my my take on owls. And you're not wrong. I scared uh, a walking buddy last week because I heard a whoo whoo. It was like nine or nine or ten o'clock, and I heard it and like and just off in the distance. And I'm like, that's on close. So I'm just like pausing and looking around. But um, no, Flacco is an awesome owl that escaped um, uh, from the Central Park Zoo a year ago, and has been just hanging out. He was in Central Park for months all i hear is owl owls being an owl that that's all i hear escaped i don't know i don't know these terms owls just being an owl he is being an owl but he's uh, he's a cult-like figure because folks have been taking the pictures of him when he appears on their ledge he's appeared in like outside apartment windows and um he's been all over the place but no one's been able to catch him in the last year and it was a really good piece in new york times uh sunday magazine uh, about it today so uh, i love that that's a that's one of my Sunday rituals going through the Sunday <laughs> New York Times magazine. But um, yeah, that's that's what I was doing. I was not watching the Grammys. I'm not in a, and it's not even just a Grammys thing. I'm not an award show person for anything. The ESPYs, any of that. I've never really understood the point of watching an award show. It's never, never really been in it, uh, been something of an interest to me. No, I'm with you there. I um, 
I mean, I guess I would, what I, I would watch some college football award shows through the years, but um, but yeah, uh, you know, as you know, I'm engaged to a to a Swifty, and she was watching the Grammys, so uh, I feel like the Grammys is the best one, just because like it's it's music, so it's like every few, you know, it's it's through different eras too, so they're doing lifetime achievement stuff, playing music that you know, and, and there's live performers and that that sort of thing like i feel like that's the best one from like a viewer perspective because you're at least getting some of these live performances like you can't just like hey let's go let's go watch a two-minute clip from from that movie that came out this year you know you're just not gonna do it's not the same thing you know i just well you know me music take it or leave it i just have my jazz and my <laughs> uh my little stuff and i'm i'm good i just but yeah I'm, I'm married Taylor. to a Swifty, but she wasn't watching it either. Uh, yeah, she, not she won the best album for the fourth mm. time, and she's the first person to win a uh, best album four times. Apparently, so that's that was the big achievement for for T Swift on the night. I Good know that's why, I know that's why our listeners tune in. Hey, we're both uh, we're both going to get reminded of this fact tomorrow. I think uh, from our significant other that uh, <laughs> this this was indeed the case. Um, but Matt Green, uh, this is uh, ostensibly a college football show, and we will be talking a little college football here um, on tonight's show because you know even with the, the off season, it's really the quietest part of the the season in a long time. Like you're kind of, I mean, outside of uh, sitting power five head coaches take coordinator jobs at the NFL level at a at an alarming rate. Uh, at the moment, um, not a lot of movement outside of Jeff Halfley to the Packers as DC. So we'll see who takes over the Boston College job. We'll see what Chip Kelly does. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury getting the OC job today with Washington. Um, he was in the mix there. Reportedly, uh, Vegas also made a hire. So maybe Chip Kelly does not uh, end up getting one of these jobs. I don't have it in front of me how many OC jobs are still available. But um, interesting enough that uh, some sitting power five head coaches are looking um, to be coordinators at the NFL level at that opportunity uh presents itself and we and we talk about this calendar stuff all the time like i don't want to sound like a broken record but like this is maybe the worst part like of all the bad parts of the calendar signing day being right in the middle of what's now going to be the playoffs mm. uh in december but this to pretend like the the college is not the same job market as the nfl is is crazy like i don't know if you listen to that joel clatt uh josh pate uh one-on-one -on -one, like around christmas time where they're talking about like Joel Clatt's ideas of like the we need the NFL and college football need to kind of partner up and like like what would be better than wild card weekend, you know, on a Saturday going right into a national championship game like that Saturday night like so, like us we need to acknowledge that these this is the same audience that's watching college football and watching the NFL and it's now the same coaches that are co it's obviously the same players they're jumping straight from college uh, and they're going to impact a team as a rookie. So it's this is finally the time it feels like the dust has settled and and now the Boston College head coach is bouncing and he's going to take a coordinator job in Green Bay and and yeah like Liam Cohen now going back to the NFL uh like it's like if we all the transfer portal stuff is supposed to be over all the coaching carousel is kind of done and then boom the NFL in NFL season ends and now it's just it, it keeps the chaos going I mean it just it never ends like we're in February now and like UCLA you're in you're in trouble if you lose you're sitting at coach like Boston College like who's taking that I mean it's a terrible time for a coaching search and then if UCLA loses Kelly then you're like hey man maybe you should have moved on if you were getting cold feet about Kelly moving into the Big Ten anyway in November when those reports happen you kind of got to stick to your guns now like universities need to I mean they have to kind of it's just hard. All of this is hard. And the only like great situation is when you have a Sharon Moore situation, right? Where he just plugs in, elevates some analysts to uh, coordinator positions, uh, positional coach positions, and you keep the the base of the class and the, the main mix of the roster. But I mean, it's just, it's a crazy time in, uh, in college football and maybe it will change. Sure. Speaking of change though, Matt Green, here, one one last yeah. thing though, it's like Jeff Halfley is not a big enough name for people to care. Like, no disrespect to Jeff Halfley, but Chip Kelly, if a couple weeks from now he decides to take whatever OC job because he doesn't, you know, what whatever the case may be, he doesn't like the direction the sport's going. I mean, Jeff Halfley basically said that verbatim. Like a guy taking stepping down from a head coach position, a big time, whatever we're calling it, power two. 
um, head coaching position to just be a coordinator in the NFL. Like that's the kind of like, okay, college football, we need to figure out what we're doing here. We need to get this thing back on the tracks. Yeah. Well, we'll see if they get back on the tracks because is Camp the, Kelly, a big enough name. I mean, Kelly though is again, like he, his answer about like how he would fix college football was great a few months back. Um, I just don't know, like, and maybe this speaks to what's happening here with the sec and the big 10 and what's going on with the NCAA as a whole. It's just like, maybe sit down with these coaches, maybe sit down with Kirby chip, uh, Lincoln Riley, Dabo, Nick a couple years ago. Nick now he's got more free time. Sit down with Nick Saban, uh, for a little bit. Lane Kiffin, Maybe Josh Maybe sit down with Kirby. Kirby's like, well, we can work like eighty hours a week. Yeah, that seems fair. I think we need to sit down with somebody else that's not just working nonstop, just flying into different twelve different high schools in one day around the state of Georgia. Maybe that might be, but either way, the SEC Big Ten Alliance. Um, I mean, we've talked on the pod where I've just it, it's a power two. And we're inching closer and closer to the power two super league. We'll see ultimately who is able to jump in the boats, whether it's a Florida state and Clemson and some of the other big names before it's all said and done. But um, I don't know. I think this is interesting. I think it's important that these two conferences are putting aside differences because they've, there's obviously been um, over the years some, I mean, look, these are the two power conferences. There's a lot of um, natural rivalry here. Um, They've separated themselves for the last couple of years at the premier football conferences. We look at the playoff this year. Final four teams are now all of this past um, CFP or now all Big Ten and SEC teams. And I think year in, year out, I they're going to win the 12-team playoff. Like You're probably never going to see a non-Big Ten SEC team win the 12-team playoff uh, any year. And I think that's just kind of where we're headed. So they need to work together. They need to figure this out. They need to work on the the window, what they can do um, it, with NIL, with so many different things, with the schedule, with contracts, with whatever you got to do. These two leagues need to be on the same page. And I think that's good for the sport if that's where we're heading and there is something that comes of this. And like the we joked about the last alliance with the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 and stuff. But I think these two have a much more likely long-term uh workability that the previous alliance just did not have because these interests are the same they're in the same spot and we're now reaching a critical po- critical point here in college football where you're going to keep losing a lot of good coaches if you don't figure this out sooner rather than later no i think you're right i'm a i'm a little torn on the big 10 sec uh mega conferences uh to be honest because it's part of our tradition, our, maybe our even our heritage down here to chant SEC after we win big college football games in the non-conference. And it's even a tradition for other teams to now do that when they beat SEC teams. So I'm just going to be sad about, you know, if it's 30 teams in the SEC, 30 teams in the Big Ten, there's, there's no more SEC, right? You can't, you can't chant SEC. Uh, when you're in Tucson, you know, it's just, it's, it's not the same. Um, but I think, uh, like to me, this sounds like this is kind of the beginning of the end of the NCAA, right? Or at least if it's not the beginning of the end, it's like the, the big time powers that be are having to prepare for a post NCAA world. Like that's, that's what this feels like. And, you know, these two teams, it feels like an arms race, um, just adding the best brands to their brand that they can. So, you know, you're seeing Washington, USC, Oregon join join the uh the Big 10. I wouldn't be like how is there a logical way for us to to sort like like how do we how do we figure out what who plays college football, right? Like if it's just the Big 10 and SEC, if it, is it is it up to Greg Sankey? Is it up to these commissioners to be like, "Okay, we want you, you, you. Uh the rest, you're no good to me. We don't need you." We'll we'll take we'll take Miami, we'll take Florida State, we'll take Clemson, the rest of you guys, we don't care. Or is there kind of a responsibility of, well, there's 58 programs that are trying to play college football at the highest level, and we're gonna divvy them up north and south, however, however we deem fit. Like I, I'm really curious just what it means for the Big Ten and SEC to to truly be the power two conferences. 
Yeah, and I don't even know if we're close to that point yet. Like the Big 12 is still pretty strong, especially in the basketball front. Uh, the ACC obviously has uh, the grant of right stuff. And if that keeps going, I mean, we're looking at still a decade plus of uh, it existing in some form or fashion. I think the bigger thing is that these two need to work together because they have the they are most enveloped in where college football, big time college football is. They're the schools in these conferences have the most on their plate, the most, uh, the most to, um, the most reason to have be on the same page because they're all the big dogs, like the Ohio States, the Bama's, the Georgia's, the Tennessee's. Everyone in this co- in these two conferences are the ones that are going to be perennial powerhouses for the foreseeable future. They have the biggest fan bases, the most, the biggest collectives, this, that, and the other, like their eyeballs like with the new tv deals that go into effect this year like they are going to separate from in a monumental way from the acc and the big 12 um and just revenue based on the new tv deals so like they need to be at the forefront but like you said what uh what does this mean for the rest of um sport like and how how does that work with the schools and getting left behind it's still far too early to tell I think the main thing I'm looking for of this advisory group and why I'm a bigger believer in it than uh, what the Alliance was a couple of years ago is that they know where their constituents stand and there is a there is an urgency, it feels like, across the board with more and more lawsuits coming up with um, just how rapidly college football is changing. And look, the sport's doing well. Ratings are good. They want Everyone wants all this to work. Um, there's not been more intrigue. Like you're... You haven't uh, you've enjoyed the last two years of Georgia football. Most Georgia fans, even with all the craziness going on all around college football, people are enjoying it. People are having fun. There's more interest than ever. Like athletes, like it's a really good time to be a college football athlete in the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, that all being said, have been in college for like nine years. They never want to leave. They're enjoying exactly. it a lot. I mean, look, it's it's a good deal, man. And it's um, it's getting better. We can always work to improve it and get it a little bit better. But look, I just I think it's a, a net positive that they're working together. I think they need to be on the same page. I think this needs to be a big deal. Um, I think they need to think about uh, the other conferences and how this all works. And maybe like I've always wondered, it's like even if you did like a quote unquote super conference, I look at it in terms of high school classifications, right? Like you have region se- or classification 7A in high school in the state of Georgia, Matt Green. You know what that is. It's the South Georgia Lowndes, uh, Colquitt, and uh, Valdosta, and Camden, and schools like that get in their own region in Class 7. And then you get the rest of the greater Atlanta schools, like the big the big dogs there. Mill Creek doesn't need to play Manchester um, in, the nat- in the state championship game or Troop County, whatever. That just That's not where we need to be- go. But that doesn't mean you can't keep everybody in the fold in some way. So I just think if we go to a super conference where like they're the only ones in the playoff where the the Big Ten and the SEC only play each other and have a couple like in terms of the playoff and they do their own playoff, this, that and the other. But then the rest of them still get to play college football. It's just a little bit different. There's not as much money involved, but they get to compete for their own national title because I've said the G5 should have their own uh, college football playoff because that would be a lot of fun um, for those kids just have different classifications. I don't think there's anything wrong because look, you saw the last couple of years where are all the five and four stars going Matt green. They're all going to the power too. You look at the list and outside of the outliers of Florida state and Miami, you go through it in Clemson too. I mean, it's just where we're going anyway. Like they're the, the yeah, collection the of talent going, the guys that weren't going to the sec and big 10 schools were choosing the schools that were now absorbed by the sec. Yes. And big 10. So, I mean, what like it or not, that's where we're going. So let's figure it out. Let's make it good. The sport's doing well. There's interest all across the board. Um, just get on the same page and let's figure this out because you can figure it out. But there's also, I mean, it, I think they'll figure it out. But I think ultimately Sankey and Petitti, um working together will be will be a good one. That's my gut. Yeah, and I'm... And I guess that's where it's probably going to end up being like some sort of some sort of super conference with these two. Uh, you know, who knows how many they have? Twenty four, thirty teams or something. I think it's it's really interesting where we sit right now, though, just because the ACC and the the Big Twelve are as big as they are. It's like Clemson, Florida State, Miami. Like those are some big college football brands. Obviously, you got Notre Dame out there still being independent, however long they can do that for. But um, yeah, I just. I don't know what what's the, what the future is, but I I feel better 
with Greg Sankey at the table than, um, you know, anyone in the NCAA offices. Yeah. Well, we'll see what ultimately happens here. But either way, I think it's a step in the right direction to get us all on the same page so that we can have uh, real conversations about how to really actually fix and not even just fix, but make college football sustainable over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years and beyond. Um, Dog Bites, a weekly segment we're going to do here on this very show, Matt Green, with your, I mean, people forget, but this is a pod divided here. Um, So there is a Georgia constituent on this very program, and that would be you, good sir. So um, some Georgia stuff. Uh, What do you got for us this week in terms of the University of Georgia, Matt Green? Yes, sir. I, uh, I won't waste too much time with the basketball update. You know, at this at this point, I think that I think the tournament chances really took a hit with this loss to South Carolina this weekend. But you know what? You got to crawl before you can walk. South Carolina is so, good, man. They beat Tennessee this past week. Um, they've got three losses. They're a, they're a tournament team. Like, oh, that's not a bad loss at all. It's not a bad loss, but in terms, I think Georgia's sitting at like I don't know sixteen and seven or something right now. It's it's. It's not a very impressive record. Like they they blew a couple of leads late, Tennessee, Alabama games, but uh, but yeah, still a good season. But I, I don't think this team's gonna be good dancing. But did you, you see know, uh, Tennessee might be a one seed? Lenardi, I don't know if you caught the game. Hundred right? points at rep, I did. rep arena. It's pretty good. Yeah, Tennessee's looking good these days, man. Um, you know, obviously we know they're not gonna make a Final Four, but mm. you know, it's it's gonna they're gonna enjoy it and have a good time. Maybe win one or two games in March, but uh, all right. But, <laughs> But uh, let's go to Georgia. My dog bites uh, for today. I uh, I decided to dig into the wide receiver position, or let's just call it the pass catcher position mm. at the University of Georgia. Because the last three years, this position has been unbelievably consistent. Like you go back, you like you go back in a time machine where we were January of 2021, uh, you know, prior to the after the 2020 season. Like, there's a lot of criticism about what Georgia's offense was. Like, they can't recruit the wide receiver position because their offense is stuck in, in the past, all this stuff. And then you had three straight years of Brock Bowers being one of the best players in college football, leading the team in yards and catches all three years. Also, Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, and Lad McConkey the last couple years. Like, it's been extremely consistent. And I look right now, you have to go back to Tavares King, the last mm. time Georgia had a, a guy lead the team in, in receptions and yards two years in a row. Like, it's, it's really? been a while. Yeah, you, and you, A.J. Green before that. So, mm. I mean, you got, like, Chris Connolly in there for a year. Like, George Pickens had, because obviously George Pickens' career was a little up and down with, with uh, injuries and things like that. But Kiaris Jackson actually led him in, in receiving one year. So it's like a lot of different guys. Riley Ridley, I think, was in there. Javon Wims. But you look at uh, the wide receiver position has not been very consistent for Georgia until the last like two or three years. Like Jermaine Burton, you lost a guy who could start for Alabama and your receiving group really didn't lose anything. Like it didn't really miss a beat. And that just, I I don't think you've seen that from Georgia much throughout their history to have a, a wide receiver group that strong. Even A.D. Mitchell, I, did, I forgot him. This guy's a potential first-round pick you lost uh, in the portal, and you had one of the best passing attacks in college football this year. Uh, you have A.D. Mitchell. You might you might be in the college football playoff. That might be the extra bit they needed, but uh, I won't say they didn't miss a beat. But um, that's one thing that I'm really curious to see what Georgia can do next year because you lose Ladd McConkey, you lose Brock Bowers, you lose uh, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Now on Georgia's roster, there are more transfer wide receivers than receivers that signed out of high school. Like you, Brock, um, Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas are both, you know, coming back, but those are two transfers. And then you're obviously you're bringing in um, Michael Jackson from USC, Colby Young from Miami, and and London Humphreys from Vanderbilt. So like that's five transfer receivers on the roster right now that might be your your top. Probably top six because I think Dylan Bell is going to be in there as one of the best receivers next year. But um, he might but start, yeah. right? I mean, I think Dylan Bell should be one of the top two receivers on the team next year. But it's in all likelihood just because you have so many transfers. Like most of those top five, probably guys in in targets and and yards next year are going to be guys that that transferred in. 
And it's an interesting way of team building, right? Like every university has to do this a little bit differently, right? Um, where some teams attack you just patchwork, like Tennessee, for instance, has had to patchwork the offensive line in the portal. Um, we're now going into year four and, uh, we'll see, I mean, go, uh, cause look at this Lance Hurd will be at the starting left tackle by all accounts transfer from LSU five-star kid, uh, left guard will be probably Andre carriage, but we'll see, um, transfer from Texas, um, center Cooper Mays homegrown, but not from this staff. Um, right guard Javante Spragans homegrown, not from this staff though. And then right tackle John Campbell transfer from Miami. So, um, it's interesting that Tennessee for the last couple of years have utilized the portal and they've done really well, uh, in the portal, finding guys like JJ Crawford, Gerald Mincy, uh, among others, um, over the last John Campbell, especially last year at the left tackle spot, but that's where they've had to go, um, to fill out the roster. So you don't want to be only filling out the roster in the portal. You don't want to be a team that's just turning over that much. You don't be the Colorado zone where you're just, uh, so much of your, so many of your guys are coming in through the portal. But you do have to be strategic in the way that you uh, use the portal and where you uh, fill in um, some holes or like bridge the gap, which is a part of it for Tennessee is like the development because offensive line is such a developmental position that it takes years uh, to get ready to go. So a lot of those guys will be ready to step up next year for Tennessee. Maybe this year we'll see. But um, I think for Georgia, it's interesting because you're so deep at tight end, like all those guys are homegrown. You're not entering the portal at all for tight end you're not entering the portal really at offensive line at all at georgia um quarterback you would typically say running back and yeah. until etn coming in next year exactly and it's really just been receiver right like you i i look at this roster and it's just it that's the only spot kirby has had to go in the portal and i wonder i wonder how much of it is just development issues like not getting guys because you're getting negatively recruited and i i wonder if it's a negative recruiting thing over the last couple of years because Teams can just say, look, Brock Bowers, Heisman guy, Darnell Washington, Heisman guy, they're playing two tight end sets. Like, are you really going to get that, get the ball all that much? Like, say Darnell uh, Washington, Heisman guy? Yeah. Huh? Is it Darnell Washington? I mean, say he came in as a high, like a Heisman type guy. Like, Brock Bowers was a Heisman guy, but I mean, Darnell was huge. And Darnell on any other roster maybe looks like a Heisman type guy. Um, but I think it's interesting. Be- Washington. But, Lab McConkey was great. Um, great uh three-star kid and now gonna be, I think he's gonna be an early pick in the NFL draft. But you're I, yeah, I'm just very buzz. curious because cool. you lose Bowers and you lose Washington the previous season. You have talent there, Oscar Dell by all accounts, talented kid. Um, Lucky Lawson, we'll see where he's um is it Lucky uh, Lucky Lawson or Lawson Lucky? <laughs> you say it wrong every time. Yeah, it's Lawson Lucky. Lawson Lucky. Um, I'm sure I'll know his name soon enough because um, alliteration Georgia tight ends have been pretty good so far. Um, but they're going to be okay there. Jane Riddell, uh, obviously a super talented kid. He'll get on the field sooner and later. But I wonder if Georgia evolves a little bit because this is more of a gap year where you don't have that amazing safety net and you have this one-two punch at running back, it seems like, with ETN and uh, Robinson going into next year maybe you don't have to, but like Rara wasn't, uh, he was, he was solid. He wasn't a game breaker for you. Dominic Lovett is a situation where he just kind of had to learn the scheme, learn the offense this past year. They didn't need, uh, to, for him to do a whole lot. And now next year is when he gets back to what we saw two years ago. At Mizzou, but Lovett was, was yeah. second on the team in catches though. Like love it. But was- did it feel like it? Did it feel like he was like a big, like versus what we saw at Mizzou? Well- it was, I mean, I think part of it's because McConkey missed some time. So yeah. McConkey, when he played, he was the clear number two. But mm. just love it, just being consistent. I mean, he was he was a pretty consistent guy. Yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't have the yards per per catch. Definitely, he was doing at Missouri the year before. But he, yeah, not necessarily a star, but but you're but a, a, just a quality SEC receiver. Yeah, and we saw a star two years ago. So does he get back to being a star at Georgia? Um, and where does Dylan Bell pop? Like I Humphrey's obviously a really good player at Vanderbilt. I'm very, very curious how the snaps go for Georgia receivers and how this strategy pays off for Kirby and what it actually means that he has dipped so much into the portal at that spot. Cause it's interesting. You don't see a lot of teams do that. No. And that's definitely like Darian Kendrick is one of the few I can think of kind of impact guys. Georgia got out of the portal. That wasn't a receiver. 
Uh, but yeah, you're seeing a lot of it. And even before the the portal was as big, like with a guy like um, oh, who am I blanking on? Uh, number fifteen back in 2019 um, for Miami, uh, Cager. Lawrence oh. Cager, even that year too, going back uh, that far. So um, you, you've seen Georgia do it a good bit. Uh, what's interesting though, oh man, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> but I, I got to get back on track. So I, I was looking at Georgia's, so this is what I was going to say. I think a lot of it's about narratives. I finally caught myself. A lot of it's about narratives. And I even remember, I think it was Evan Stewart coming out of high school, to, like, basically clowning Georgia and Luther Burden, I think may have said something too about a tight end leading them in receptions. And so it was like, at first it was the, the passing offense wasn't even good, you know? So you had to get the passing offense back to being good. And then it's now, Oh, well, a tight end is leading them. And they're not a legitimate passing team. If a tight end is leading them and receiving and like, yeah, maybe that's true somehow in your, in your warped brain, but this tight end was like maybe the best tight end that's ever played in college football. And so now if you see Georgia with a, a, a if you got Carson Beck back, right, we expect Georgia's passing offense to be good again next year. And if it's receivers that are doing it, maybe that just changes how high school receivers look at Georgia's program moving forward, that you're not able to see, oh, Brock Bowers is an elite playmaker and Georgia is getting the ball to their elite playmaker, you know, and like that's all they were doing. And if you see them do it in a wide receiver and you see a guy that's got 50 catches for 900 yards and 11 touchdowns, and he's a wide receiver. Maybe all of a sudden that makes you you look at Georgia differently because that's that's kind of the last thing they have left. Like I think George Pickens was that guy, but you know he tore his ACL and missed what what would have been his breakout season, uh, his junior year. So I think a lot of it's to do with narratives. And you know, in the meantime, while those high school guys, uh, Mike Matthews, a five star from from Metro Atlanta is not picking Georgia, you know, then you can go to the the college route uh, and and it's been uh, it's been kind to Georgia to this point. Absolutely. But Absolutely. um I have I have one last thing. It got me thinking top 5 pass catchers since I have been a Georgia fan. Um I don't know if you have your own list on your side you might you can you can see what you think of mine. First of all, Andre Hastings did not make my list to the old heads listening out there. I know people love Andre Hastings. I was like three years old. He was playing. I know he was great. Eric Zyre was putting up big numbers. Bryce Hunter. I know the names. Mm. But they didn't make my list. At number five, I'm going with a tie here with Terrence Edwards and George Pickens. Because George Pickens is just the absolute elite of elite like talent. He just didn't have the production. Whereas Terrence Edwards is like Georgia's most production productive receiver of all time but he wasn't the actual like nfl guy i think he put up some numbers in the canadian league but um so they're a tie right there at number five number four going lad mcconkey ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot of people might not expect this, but Ladd McConkey's just super productive, deep threat, make plays after the catch. I think he might be Georgia's best ever wide receiver when it comes to actually making plays after the catch. Just He's what we all wanted Miko Hardman to be, honestly. And he actually was just so dangerous after the catch. You could hand it to him. like his. I think he had like four or five career rushing touchdowns. Like He was just a, a, just a dual threat, really. Number three, I want to say Super Bowl 40 MVP, Heinz Ward. Goes without saying, Swiss Army knife, dude did everything. Number two, pass catcher, 
Brock Bowers, best tight end in college football history. And number one, I got to go AJ Green. That dude is just different. Can you throw Brock Bowers on here? Absolutely, sir. Top five pass catchers. That's what I'm saying. That was the I list. I don't like this. I don't like this. Brock Bauer. I mean, he's got it. He's led Georgia receiving three years in a row. AJ Green didn't even do that. I mean, he I don't, dis- close. I don't disagree. Pass, pass catcher is just kind of a cop out. You got to throw Bowers on a receiver list, though. I mean, he's just, I mean, I think he's George's all time leader in receiving touchdowns. Like he's, he's a, He's got to be on there. He's out. He's not mm-hmm. AJ Green because AJ Green was just a finished product as like a high school junior, basically. That that was just the smoothest athlete I've ever seen. But uh, but Brock Bowers, close second. Mm. Terrence Edwards, though. Terrence Edwards, don't want to throw any shade to Georgia's last one thousand yard receiver back in two thousand two, and I think he was the SEC all time receiver at some point in and yards. He's yet not on your top five list. He was if top you- five. He was tied for five because he. It's it's the eye test. It's partly mm. the eye test. Terrence Edwards was good. He wasn't the elite like talent. And I mean, it's no disrespect, no shade to him because I mean that's why he didn't play a, a long career in the NFL. I think he only lasted a year or two, but he was productive in college. I gave him his flowers, but like mm. if I'm having a pickup game in the backyard and I can get I can get prime Terrence Edwards or prime George Pickens, I probably got to go George Pickens. I think I go Edwards. I mean, his. You know what you're getting with Edwards. Better. Edwards is solid. Edwards was. You know what you're getting there. No, that's fair. He was. He was definitely more productive. And uh, it's almost like one of those things. Do you want Musa Smith or like, hmm, who is a highly rated but not as productive Georgia running back? I don't who know Isaiah be, Crowell. Yeah, that's a good comp. Like, would you rather have Isaiah Crowell or Musa Smith? Um, that's that's a tough example because Musa Smith's one good year was was definitely better than Crowell's one year. Like he had a yeah. year where he had like 1300 yards rushing, but, but yeah, it is a, it's a different, it's a weird conversation. You're having the uh, production versus like actual talent conversation. Like it, like when people, you know, when you go to talk uh, college basketball, when the people that want to call Tyler Hansborough, like the best college yeah. basketball player of all time, it's like, okay, he was around for four years. So I get it. He's got the, He's got the, the longevity, but Kevin Durant's basically the best player I've ever seen play college basketball. Like, the dude was just absurd. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough conversation. You got to, you, whatever, whatever your criteria may be. But yeah, that's where I'm going. You can't top A.J. Green as far as I'm concerned. No, I don't think you can. I think he has to be number one. I agree. Um, Josh Pate of Late Kick, he posted tonight that I wanted to talk about here because I thought it was pretty interesting because... I had some I disagreed with here. He put up a uh, current SEC program power rankings poll um, one through was, 16 program power rankings. Or is this like going in like the team rankings going to 2024? But I mean, it's power rankings going into 2024. Okay. And I disagree so, with some of these. But here. this is the team or this is the program. What do you mean? You're just saying like. Is he ranking these programs like right now today, or is he ranking what these teams are going to be in 2024? I think he's saying heading into the 2024 season. So I interpreted that as like what he thinks they should be. Like if you were doing a preseason one through 16 SEC power ranking poll heading into 2024, who okay. are the best to worst? Gotcha. Gotcha. That's how I interpreted it. Um, so here's the thing. Vanderbilt, obviously, at 16 here. There's some that jump out to me that I disagree with right out of the gate here, Matt Green. I'm not sure. (laughs) Mizzou at 10 with Auburn at nine. I mean, Mizzou all the way down at 10 based on what we've seen and where this program is. Like, they obviously hire really well. They just Um, finished nationally. Yeah, but I mean, look, it's going to be weird seeing Texas and Oklahoma in here because you're like, man, that's really far down. And then you're like, well, this, that, and the other. Here's what's going to take some getting used to. Alabama is not the number two program in this uh, going into 2024 in the SEC. Like we need to go ahead and move on from that. Alabama is not going to be the second best team in the, in the conference this year. That being said, I have to start here. Old Miss, or excuse me, Oklahoma at five ahead of both Old Miss and Tennessee just jumps out to me as like, I, I, I don't see it. Oklahoma, Dex and Arnold looked okay in that final game. You're putting a lot of stock in year three for Brent Venables here. Um, we've seen a very up and down. He beat Texas last year. That was great. 
Uh, Dylan Gabriel off to Oregon. We'll see how he finishes out his collegiate career there. He's recruited well. Brent Venables has done a good job there. You lose Jeff Lebby to Mississippi State. Um, he's going to have a co-offensive uh, coordinator situation there. We'll see how they do. But I think that's very high to have Oklahoma. Um, and Tennessee plays uh, Oklahoma at Oklahoma this year. I don't think... I, I'm not there. I don't think Oklahoma is in a better spot heading into 2024 than Ole Miss, Tennessee, or I'm going to throw this out, or Missouri heading into 2024. I think they're somewhere closer to that 8, 9, 10 range than that top five. That's what stood out to me first. What about you? Yeah, I would say uh, Oklahoma is probably the most difficult team in the SEC like for me to rank personally mm. because like it wouldn't surprise me if Oklahoma was like the third best team in the SEC next year but it also wouldn't surprise me if they were like the 10th best team in the SEC next year like i think Texas we at least have the the back to back seasons playing Alabama the last couple years to kind of like start to gauge where they are as a program and they just went to the playoff like it feels like we can safely say Texas is in a good spot and I kind of expect them to be the second best team in the SEC next year. But Oklahoma, I feels like there's a lot more question marks around them. Uh, I'm kind of with you there. It feels like I'm a little surprised to see o- Ole Miss down at six. Uh, like you said, it feels like everything is lining up for them next year. But one that stood out to me is South Carolina at 11. Like, hmm. I mean, I don't think, Florida is going to be anything special. Like I'm not buying Arkansas going into next year. I'm not super high on Kentucky, but I kind of put all of them ahead of South Carolina. Like I don't, I'm not really sure where the positivity for South Carolina is coming in. Like Spencer Rattler, like he had one of the, like the weirder college football careers, like in just terms of kind of being up and down five-star label Heisman favorite, then kind of get benched. Oh, he sucks. Actually, it turns out he's good. Like it, it's, but South Carolina is not good, but he actually is kind of good. That might be the best quarterback they can get in a while. Like, so I'm not sure where South Carolina is going exactly. Like we talked about them kind of becoming a stepping stone program in the portal. Like I'm, I'm surprised this is South Carolina 11. Like it feels like Vanderbilt and Mississippi state are the clear bottom two. And I, I think I put South Carolina right behind them right in front of them south carolina is tough to i think i'd have them south carolina is definitely past 10 um you could sell me auburn is like a gamble right now at nine um i could see them being in the middle of the pack this year um but still seems a little high for me we haven't really talked about it. you touched on it just a second ago still seeing florida at 13 if you're a florida fan are you just losing your mind? Like this is year three. Like this is ridiculous. Florida should never be number 13 in the sec. That no. should never be the case. Like it's just, you see it and you're just like, what are you doing? Like I would just be beside myself the last two years. If I'm a Gator fan, because it shouldn't be like this. You should not, the expectations should be, should be so much higher. And to see you behind so many programs that you have so many more advan- inherent advantages than, I mean, this would drive me nuts. Just seeing 13 uh, going into year three of the Napier era, right? Like just 13 Florida, just it's wild to look at. Yeah, it really is. It's I I would have thought someone could have been blindfolded and had Florida, you know, in the middle of the SEC, like at at worst. Uh, So I I don't know. I I definitely don't think they're going to be a very good team in, in 2024, but. Even even with that, it's like it's hard for me to predict them finishing as one of the four worst teams in the entire conference. Did they do that? Were they one of the four worst teams last year in the SEC? I think so. I'm pretty sure if I pull up the standings here, um, three and five, five and seven overall, uh, they're tied um, with South Carolina, Kentucky and Vandy. And then uh, no, they were they were a little bit higher than you would think. They were five and seven, but they lost five straight to end. Mm. some of these streaks to end were pretty pretty brutal um, and man, they could be looking at another one too like if they don't start if they don't start six and one it's gonna be a really or what seven and one six and two it, they could start six and two and it still be a really bad season i also have this i think one of tennessee old miss and i'll say one of tennessee old miss 
and I'll just say Oklahoma too. No, I'm going to say one of Tennessee, Old Miss, and LSU um, are in the nat- in the SEC title game against Georgia. Um, I just don't know which one of that group. One of those three breaks through. Who has again? The, uh, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and LSU. One of those three, I think. Is so you're not be. buying Texas. I am buying Texas. But if it's you're saying they're not. I just think be it's too the- clean. It's too clean to have Texas and Georgia in the final. Yeah, I could see that. LSU at four seems. You know, I just don't know where Alabama's going to end up. Like, if they're the second best team in the SEC, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever. You wouldn't be surprised with how stocked the SEC but is I'm in year one with DeBoer. I, I, I'm saying it wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever. But it's still Alabama. So, Kalen DeBoer is one everywhere he's gone. Like, I would be surprised, but like, I can't, I can't knock him out. You know, it's like I have to see it with my own eyes. Uh, first, but I guess we agree Georgia is just the clear number one. Georgia is the number one. I think Georgia and Texas are one A, one B. That's what I feel like right now. But they also play each other, and I think they're going to cancel that game out. And it's at Texas, so yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, but so even with that, you don't think Texas makes the SEC championship? No, I think it's one of Georgia, Texas. I don't think they both get in. That'll be interesting. Uh, but I mean, Texas. I mean, Bama goes to Oklahoma. They go to LSU. They go to Tennessee. I mean, they get Georgia at home, but like at Wisconsin, that might be spicy. Like you're losing at Tennessee. Like, let's just go ahead and put that one out there, <laughs> Matt Green. Like we ain't scared. And not no guess what it's going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, it's definitely possible. And Tennessee, it's sitting at seven. What you, did you uh, you think that was too high, too low? It's too high. Like Tennessee should be, or I guess depending on seven's too high. I don't think they're going to finish in the seventh range. If Nico is anywhere close to what we saw in the bowl game and what he can be, and he's already had a year in the system. This is technically year two for him. The schedule is really nice for Tennessee. They're, I, they're a safe gamble to be in the top four somewhere. So I think seven's too, too high. All right. We shall see, sir. James Pierce off the edge, the whole offensive line back, like, I don't know. I think uh, Tennessee's going to be really stinking good, Matt Green. Um, SEC schedule review series. I thought this would be a fun idea, Matt Green, to do each week here. With each different SEC team, we'll look at the 2023 results and then figure out, did they win enough games based on what we saw on the schedule? Not enough based on how their schedule unfolded or just the right amount. And I thought LSU would be a fun one to start off here, Matt Green. So when you look at the team that had the Heisman winning quarterback this year, when you look at how the 2023 schedule was for them, did LSU win enough when just uh, the right exact amount or did they lose too many games based on uh, that schedule? <laughs> uh, just right. No, um, LSU definitely underachieved uh, this past hmm. year. I think there's no doubt about it. Like, having this defense be as bad as it was is just unacceptable. Like we know how LSU recruits. Like if this team was a, a an average defense, like th- they potentially could have won the national championship. Like, like losing to, you know, the, the shootout they did to Ole Miss, like you had the best quarterback in college football. Like Jaden Daniels was, was doing like Lamar Jackson type things as a better passer. Like, Nobody expected that coming into this season. And this team was a contender coming into the season without, with a lot of people kind of not sold on how good Jaden Daniels was. So the fact that he's the Heisman Trophy winner and this team loses three games, like, and you lost to, and and they were another one of the teams that I, I felt like when we were making our preseason predictions about Alabama, it, it felt like, LSU was one of those teams that the SEC was open for, and, and Alabama just found ways to, to beat everyone in the SEC West last year. So I definitely have to say, like, Florida State, there's no shade in losing to Florida State like they did. Like, I think Florida State was at full strength. It was one of the best teams in college football. But but to lose to Ole Miss in that shootout, giving up 50-something points and and losing to, to Alabama, like having Jalen Milrow just kind of run all over you, not even making him pass on you. Like I think LSU definitely underachieved this past year. I think it's one of those where you just, you never know how many Heisman type seasons you're going to get from quarterbacks like Garrett Nussmeyer. He might be better than Jane Daniels. It's possible. Like Jane Daniels is really good, but um, there were some limitations there still Garrett Nussmeyer. Maybe he's 
better and LSU's better. You lose your offensive coordinator. This is why like college football is just like you never know when your moment's gone. I mean, Tennessee, what the what if game where if they don't drop that to South Carolina and who knows what happens left because you find out the next year. It's not that easy to just be the best offense in uh, college football year over year in that kind of magic that you need um, to get back to the big dance. And I, I do wonder for LSU side of things, um, look, man, you had a special season from Jaden Daniels and a lot of talent. And there was that whole weird stuff with Harold Perkins and how he was being used at the beginning of the year. And you have to clean up your whole defensive staff and you still have Harold Perkins and a lot of talent there. But we'll see if uh Brian Kelly shook up his staff in the right way, but I got co-OCs because your OC just went back to Notre Dame um, on a big deal. So we don't know what uh, these guys are going to be like. What if there is a dip in terms of offensive play calling and production? And um, I don't know. It's tough, man. <laughs> the SEC is not getting any easier. So you do wonder um, with LSU in terms of, look, man, like, I, I mean, through two years, I think if you're an LSU football fan, you're happy with, you're you're like, I guess you're just you're satisfied to an extent, right? With Brian Kelly, like Brian Kelly has been an abject positive um, at LSU, but you're still like, all right, well, we beat Alabama the first time. Uh, doesn't go well the second time. We're recruiting at a great at a great rate still. Twenty and seven is where Brian Kelly currently sits um, at LSU. But I mean, you still feel pretty good, right? I mean, you just he he's shown that he's aggressive in shaking up the staff when he needs to. He's shown that he's going to adapt to the conference and what it needs to be to win 10 games. First two years is just good. No matter how you sugarcoat it. I mean, I think he's got this thing um, on a solid foundation, but I mean, look, man, you gotta, you can't lose (laughs) your one of these years early on. You're going to have to have the one loss, two loss season because you have that kind of talent. And that's the expectations at LSU is that you're in the, you're in the national title game, um, and they haven't been in it the first two years. They've been just like good team, but they've never felt the last two years like they were really going to make a national title run. No, not at all. And and you don't have to be, you know, dissatisfied with Brian Kelly to to say that they underperformed this past season. Like it's when you know those those underperforming seasons start to stack up and they outweigh the the good seasons. But but like you look at like a guy like like an, an RG three or like a Lamar Jackson, like 10 and three type Heisman, or maybe Lamar Jackson's like nine and four uh, mm. type Heisman. It's like for one for Baylor, like 10 and three was like their best season in like 30 years. You know, it's like, so LSU going 10 and three with a Heisman uh, winning quarterback, that just doesn't hit the same. It, it's more like the Tim Tebow, the nine and four, even though their quarterback was putting up soup, stupid stats, like the season was not a success. So um, yeah, you just don't expect that when, when you're having a quarterback putting up such huge numbers, but, but yeah, I mean, I still think, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking, um, if any coach in college football, if I can have any coach in college football, I'm not taking more than like two or three guys ahead of Brian Kelly. He, he's still right up there with the best. I agree. Matt cream. Uh, final thing we'll do here on tonight's show, uh, big 10 surprise CFP teams here. Um, I thought one that would be the most interesting and to throw at you tonight. Penn State, you can't quit them. Let's find out if Matt Green is going <laughs> to quit the Penn State Nittany Lions when you think college football playoff 2024 teams, Matt Green. Are you ready to write them off in the new era of the Big Ten with USC and UCLA entering the fold, or do you think they have a real shot uh, at making it with year two of Drew Aller under center? This is a layered answer here because, yes, I am jumping off the Penn State bandwagon Mm. i i felt like last year was the stars aligning for them with all we're gonna see like like i'm me and my brother talked about it so much after georgia won that that first national championship like in the and they just georgia got all that free publicity basically during the nfl draft combine like if georgia had not won the national championship and we're talking about all these guys the combine everything they did oh man it was just gonna sting that much harder like that team was absolutely loaded Penn State fans are going to feel that a little bit uh, when the combine and the draft stuff starts coming. And you just see how talented that defense was at Penn State last year. And all those guys are gone, and you didn't accomplish anything more than you've done in previous seasons. You still lost to Michigan. You still lost to Ohio State. You know, you got Drew Allard back. 
cool. Like, I don't even know how good Drew Allard is. Like, as when yeah, when I saw him in in backup duty in 2022, like I thought that that he was that Michigan that Penn State had something. And seeing him play as the full-time starter, it may as well have been Sean Clifford in a different jersey. Like I it looked like all the same quarterback play. Penn State's offense looked the exact same. Like you know, I, I felt for him. Was it the Ohio State game that they had that that uh, scoop and score overturn in such a low scoring game? Like that defense, yes. potentially made the 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 game changing play that was overturned. This offense was just it was just so you know, I don't I don't even know what the word is. It's just so uninspiring. Like, and so I don't think you're going to see another year of Ohio State being as vulnerable as they were in 2023. I think that's going to be the worst. That's probably the worst Ohio State team of the past decade. And you're not going to get a lot of years where Ohio State is not just loaded. And I mean, if there's one team that's been more active than Ole Miss this offseason, it's in acquiring talent and the portal and just all the noise they're making with NIL and all that and retaining the talent they do have, it's Ohio State. So you know, Michigan, it feels like we don't know if they're going to be in a post-Harbaugh era, but they feel like we know what their seal, their what their floor is now, and, and they're going to be, you know, a top 10 team. They're going to be right there in the mix in the Big Ten. So I just, it's hard for me to be confident about Penn State going into 2024, other than the fact that 12 teams do make it now, and maybe that changes what we think of Penn State if they can somehow get a first-round win and get to that final eight, maybe even final four. And, you know, maybe we would decide on the field. We realize the Big Ten is playing some of the best football, and just because Penn State is third in the Big Ten doesn't mean they're not an elite program. But right now, I'm not buying any stock for them to be a national title contender. I think they're still in that. They'll be in the blue chip ratio. Drew Aller year two. We'll see what that looks like. I think they made a good offensive coordinator hire uh, from Kansas. Uh, Kansas has obviously been electric, whether it was Daniels, Beam, whoever. They had a lot of quarterback injuries, and that offense has been humming for Lance Leipold. So I think that is an outside-the-box big get for them, um, and we'll see what that means for the offense going forward. But look, I think Michigan's an unknown now. Harbaugh is not there. We don't know what Moore is going to be as a head coach. We don't know how stable they're going to be going into next year. JJ McCarthy's gone, and they're going to lose a lot of big namers to the draft. So we'll see. But it's also like people are penciling in Ohio State. Ohio State's going to be the most talented team, Matt Green, going into 2024, and will be the favorites to win the conference. But we don't know how Bill O'Brien will do. We don't know how um, the new quarterback, uh, Will Howard, will do in in Ohio State, yeah, you're still losing so Marvin Harrison Jr. You got a great two-headed monster with Judkins and Henderson back there, sure. But the offensive line was an issue all last year. What if it's an issue again? What if Ohio State there is some uh, some layover uh, stuff in, in that regard? So I don't know. I, I don't. I would still lean Ohio State, but there are going to be a couple teams that make the CFP uh, in the 2024 season here from the Big Ten. Several teams um matt green and if i had to do like a top three like top three to four penn state's still going to be right there and i think they're going to be an interesting team if they do find their way into the playoff because they have the they have the blue chippers they have the upside there with drew aller have some good coordinators and we'll see yeah and like they're only bringing in three teams to the big team yeah. right it's just usc oregon and washington I'd have to go through all the schedules. No, in UCLA. Uh, UCLA. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oregon. That's right. So they play three of the four teams coming. They don't mm. play Oregon next year. So mm. I'd have to go through the schedules to see how many teams um, everyone's got from the new, uh, from the Pac-12 teams. But that seems like a lot, you know, and the, I think all three of those teams should be pretty good next year. Washington's obviously probably going to take a step back, but they have those three and Ohio State on the schedule. It's it's probably going to be a more difficult schedule than it was in recent years where it, it kind of felt like they could sleepwalk past most of the teams and then just get up for those Michigan or I maybe not get up for the Michigan Ohio State games because they haven't been able to beat them in recent years but it's it feels like they've had kind of like all three of those teams have kind of played two game seasons to an extent unless they have a couple tough games at a conference um but yeah and and Penn State's just been losing them Absolutely well, Matt Green, that is all I've got tonight on the show. Yeah, that's all I got, man. It's uh 
It's, I guess we'll have, next time we'll be speaking. Um, it'll be after the Super Bowl. It will uh, be after the Super Bowl. Who, who you got? Who you got in the Super no, Bowl? No, it'll be before. Next Sunday. Oh, I guess it is Sunday. Yeah, never mind. I'm losing my mind. Um, I've gone back and forth. I've my, I still think Niners. I, I think Kyle doesn't lose to the Chiefs twice, but we'll see. I, I'm I'm subject to change here, but right now I'm still leaning Niners. What about you? I feel you. I I uh, I don't think I can pick against uh, Patrick Mahomes. I don't think I'm. Ro- I don't know who I'm rooting for. Like obviously I know Cor- uh, Tory's gonna be rooting for the Chiefs and everything, but mm-hmm. like I don't know. I I don't I don't really know who I'm rooting for. The 49ers aren't like a aren't a hateable team to me. Like they're they're a, they're a very likable team. Brock Purdy not not too high on Brock Purdy. That's probably why I would I would take the uh, the Chiefs. But uh, you know we'll see. Okay. That's our that's our two second Super Bowl preview. Hey, there will be more of that on tomorrow's show, Macri. The NFL Super Friends. We'll we'll talk all things NFL. I'll let uh, you guys discuss that. That's uh, that's we'll, above my pay grade. Hey man, it's above mine too. That's why I get smarter people on the <laughs> show to talk about it for me. Um, Matt Green, always a pleasure, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.